Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're drawing towards the end of our Immerse series, and I hope you've been enjoying it. I've really enjoyed the Immerse series. I love the Old Testament. You know, a lot of times uh, the Old Testament is something that people may kind of shy away from because it has everything, right? It's, it's the Old Testament is almost like you, you, you find this really good friend, and the first few weeks it's just, you know, you see everything there, and then you get to know him, and things start opening up, and it's like there's this depth there, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I love that about God, where God doesn't hold anything back. He reveals everything, and he shows his work and his plan. And one of the things I love about it is the more that I dive in, the more that I dig in, the more I see the grace and the favor and the righteousness of God. And so today, as we go through, last week we talked about Elijah, uh, which again is one of my favorite prophets in favorite prophets in the Old Testament. This week we're looking at Elisha, which, is, uh, which was the prophet Elijah's successor. And Elisha, like his successor, he had to confront an evil king because evil kings seem to be always around. They're, you know, they're always there. With great power comes great responsibility. And unfortunately, at times, with great power comes corruption. And you think it's all about you. But as we look at Elisha, we, we, uh, we're, we're going to be focusing on this, this epic battle that's about to take place. And it's one that seems where it seems to those around that they're all alone. We'll see with Elisha's servant that he walked out and he saw all the armies. And he said, we're all alone. What are we going to do now? And the thing that I want you to see today is that it's often at those times when we seem like we're surrounded. It seems like no one's there. It seems like no one cares that God shows up and he opens our eyes to see that he is there and moving. And I think that's a very appropriate word for us today. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever prayed a prayer, God, where are you? That's a very common prayer. I'm with you. I've prayed that prayer before. And then God shows up and he opens my eyes. He's like, Dwayne, let me show you what I've been doing in your life. And my prayer today is that you would see and you would pray that prayer, God, open my eyes to see what you're doing, to see your invitation. And so before we head into this, can we just pray that prayer? Lord, we know that you are at work in the world, but there are times that we can get so distracted by the heartache, by the difficulty, at times by enemies that surround us. Lord, help us today to see what you're doing, that we are not alone, that you are a mighty God, you are a sovereign God, that you have a plan, and you've invited us to be a part of it. So, Lord, open our eyes today. Open our ears. Holy Spirit, enable us to receive the word that you have for us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, change us and transform us, I pray. Everyone said together? Amen, amen. So let's go to this Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 8, and we're going to be focusing on this, this interchange that takes place in verses 8 through 18. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 18. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. It says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God. What a title. Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, 
tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Just a reminder, there are no secrets. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded. So I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram, he sent an army with the many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, this is Elisha's servant, he went outside, and there were troops, horses, and chariots. Oh, my, my words there. Everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. And I'm pausing because I sense that that's a word that some of you need to hear today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says these powerful words that are echoed even to the Old Testament. For there are more on our side than theirs. There are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed. He prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside, the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And you may sense my emotion in that because this, this is something the Lord's just been really instilling in my spirit. That we're we're going to just spend a few moments here unpacking. But as we head in to unpack this a little bit, I want you to see this big key in our lives. This is the big key in our lives that we need to grasp that is so important that we embrace knowing God's voice. As followers of Christ, we can and we should and we need to know God's voice. And I'm not just talking about knowing that he speaks. Right? I know that there are professors and teachers speaking. I was in classes where I knew the teacher was speaking, but I got zero from it because I wasn't paying attention. I got zero from it because I didn't prepare going to the class. Every teacher say amen right now. You're like, I've been there. I'm speaking, but is anyone listening? See, sometimes we talk about God's voice, but it needs to be, it's more than an awareness or just recognizing. It's about recognizing that right here, right now, here today, God is speaking, and he has a word for you that he wants you to hear. He wants to specifically guide you and direct you for life in this moment today, right now. That's the voice of God. And one of the key things that stood out last week in our study of Elijah was Elijah's ability to know and to hear God's voice. And as we looked at this, we recognized that that in Elijah, the power and and all the things that God was able to do in his life, it came from hearing and knowing God and being filled. And this brought about a confidence. I mean, think about all the things that Elijah did where he said, let's do a contest. Let's do a throwdown. You put everything up and call in your gods, and I'll put anything up and I'll call my one god, and I'm going to soak it in water first just to prove to you that the god is alive and real, and he's greater than your false god. This was a confidence, but it's a confidence that comes from knowing God's voice. And this is a great reminder for us. And here's the reminder. The reminder is that when we know who God is, who is God? He's all-powerful God. He's all-loving God. He's sovereign God. And when we know his voice, this gives us the confidence that we need to obey him. Maybe there's times you've heard and you've sensed something, but if you were to obey that, it would have meant taking a risk. 
So many times we fall back on, well, it sounds risky and it seems iffy, so we fall back and go, did, did God really say that to me or was that just bad pizza? And if you're eating bad pizza, you need to stop that. I can tell you some great pizza places. But we need to know his voice. See, this was the confidence that enabled Elijah to stand up to King Ahab, the Bible calls one of the most corrupt, one of the most evil kings in Israel's history. And in our study today, we're going to see that Elisha, Elijah's successor, he followed, like his predecessor, closely in the footsteps of God. In fact, he was following so closely that as Elijah was getting ready to hand things over to Elisha, he said to Elisha, Elijah did, he said, he said Elijah, tell me, before I'm taken, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And listen to what Elisha said. Elisha was so hungry for God that he asked for a double portion of your spirit. Now imagine that you're setting up your successor, right? You're setting up your successor to walk this out and say, is there anything that I can give you? And they look at you and say, I want twice what you got. <laughs> right? At that moment, we may think, well, how arrogant of you. <laughs> but this is not what Elisha was asking. He wasn't saying, Elijah, I want to be twice of whatever you have. He's saying, Elijah, he's saying, Elijah I want twice of the power of God in my life. He recognized that if I'm to fulfill the calling that God has in my life, I need the power of God in my life. Elisha knew the source of Elijah's strength, and now he's calling on it. He's asking for this, this double portion, and it shows this hunger that he had for God. It made me think about this famous quote from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer uh, is, said to, is uh, often told to have said this. A.W. Tozer said that you can have as much of God as you want. You can have as much as God as you want because we recognize this. The things that we really want, the things that we really desire, we end up getting it, don't we? When we really are hungry for it, when we really want it. That's why it's often said, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you hunger for. There, there are things that I know that I can get, but I know that I shouldn't get. But as it relates to this, as it relates to God, we can have as much of God as we want. And this may seem hard to believe, because, but what he meant was our level of want affects our level of receiving. Do you want this much of God, just enough to get by, just enough to seem that you're doing okay? Or are you like, God, I want all that you have. Pour him in my life. You know, it made me think about, I was, I was listening to this dad as we approached Father's Day. This dad, he was talking about how his he went to a basketball game, he and his wife, to watch their daughter play basketball. And their daughter uh, didn't get off the bench the whole night. They, just, they, they came to watch their daughter. They watched the team. The team was doing great. And as, as there were substitutions, the daughter never got off the bench. And his wife turned to him and, and said, you need to go talk to that coach. You need to talk to the coach and say, coach, you need to put our daughter in there. You just need to tell them how great she is. And he's, he said to both his wife and his daughter, and he's like, there's a way to get off the bench. There's a way to get off the bench. If you work hard, if you practice hard, if you go out in our backyard and you start practicing and I see you shooting hoops where I've got to start calling you in because it's time to go to bed, if I see that hunger, your coach is going to see that and your coach is going to put you in. There's a way, but you need to commit yourself to it. You need to dedicate yourself to it. You need to be hungry. If you're not hungry, there's no way a coach is not going to put you in. But when you see a player who's hungry, who's going after it, who's practicing hard and is diligent, they know the plays and they're walking, what coach would not want to put that young girl on the floor? 
There's a way. Now, don't misunderstand me today. I'm not saying that we're saved by good works. We're saved by faith, but faith without good works is, faith without works is dead. There's evidence. There's a fruit. Jesus kept talking about this he, because he was addressing people who they knew all the laws. They knew all the stuff. They would speak it and proclaim it and puff themselves up. And he, he called them whitewashed tombs. There's no hunger for God. See, our lives reveal the things that we really care about because we know it's not just what we say. It's what we do. Words are important. Study's important. All that's there. But there needs to be an evidence that flows out from it. And God is faithful to reward us. I love what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And then Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. They hear the invitation. Then Hebrews says that God is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. God is saying, come on to me, all ye who are thirsty and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is this pursuit of God. And this was Elisha. He hungered for and he sought after God in this passage. And now God is using Elisha to warn the king of Israel. I mean, what captain would not want a prophet like that on their team? That they know what's going to happen. See, King Aram, the king of Syria, he was out to defeat and to take over the nation of Israel. But he was failing because God was revealing the king's plans to Elisha. How powerful is this? And the, plan, the, the plans were so precise that King Aram, he even started accusing his officers, saying, which one of you is doing this? Which one of you is doing this? But his officers knew about Elisha. Can you imagine being so filled with the power of God, so active for the Lord, that even your enemies know about you, and they're fearful? <laughs> Don't mess with that guy. They're walking with God. They're going to see us even before we're coming. They're going to see us before we're coming. See, this is the power of God in our lives. So as a result, the, the king, ironically, he, he's seen enough evidence to know that there's a real God, so he, he's not going after God. He's going after one of God's anointed to try to kill him. Why is he trying to kill Elisha? Knowing how powerful God is and he's speaking to him? I mean, one of the questions that, that came to my mind as I was reading this through, why didn't the king turn his heart he sees how powerful God is, how he's speaking to Elisha that he can't win. And here's one of the reasons why. When you are so opposed to God in that way, that those who hear God, they're a threat to you. See, hearing God will always be a threat to those who oppose God. See, the, king, the king's problem was not in believing that God is real. The king's problem was in surrendering to God, recognizing that he is king and that he is not. It always comes down to this surrender issue. The surrender issue has always been the problem. When people want to follow themselves instead of God, those who hear and follow God will always be a threat. And this will be attacked by them attacking the relationship that you have with God. See, the enemy knows that he can't take God out, but if he can shut you down... If he can shut down that communication, then he'll win you. See, we know that communication in every relationship is important. If you can shut down communication, you can shut down the relationship. How many of you have experienced that in relationships? It's like what we have here is a failure to communicate. Do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? Are we there, right? Every teacher has found this with students. Every parent has found this with kids. 
Um, and, and just for all the kids in the room, every kid has found this with parents at times. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But if you shut down the communication, you shut down the relationship. That's why it's so important. See, when we are under attack, when we're in the battle, we need to recognize that one of the most important things is communication. That's why a good counselor, when they come in, what are they doing? They're calming things down and go, okay, we're going to listen to this person first. They're just going to share uninterrupted. And now we're going to listen to this person. And they're just going to share uninterrupted. You can't edit it. You can't say that's false. You can't say it's a lie. We're just going to listen. Isn't that hard to do? What is the counselor trying to do? He or she is trying to stir communication to get communication going. Because if they can get communication going, they can find the issue. They can find the problem. And if they can find the problem then there's hope if both sides are like, yes, let's fix this. See, Elisha's ability to hear God was so powerful that it destroyed all of the plans. So now the king is going after the communication. He said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him that, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there, this is the king, he sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night. He's like, I'll... I'll fix him, as if God's not awake at night. I'll fix him, I'll send him by night, and I'll surround the city. See, spiritually, this is why the enemy works, again, works so hard. And even for you, as I'm reading this now, I'm reminded how often the enemy comes to us at night. Isn't that true? When you're all alone, there's no one there. The enemy tries to trick us and come at night. This is why prayer is so important. Because even though where the enemy comes, I mean, how many stories have you heard about people that were like, you know, two in the morning, the Lord woke me up and he told me to pray for you. How many of you, you've been stirred in the middle of the night where the Lord's woken you up, you couldn't sleep, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins leading you to pray, to pray. See, this prayer is so so vital and we talk about it often but it's, we need to be reminded that the Bible is clear that it's through prayer that we are transformed especially now in the day that we're in that I think prayer is often under attack and it's often minimized and I think it's minimized when prayer becomes the end point but we need to recognize that prayer is the beginning because when we pray then we are transformed when we pray then we are mobilized when we pray and we hear from God we are empowered now to do the works but it begins with prayer if we do things without prayer if we're just out there on our own may God help us because that's a recipe for disaster Saul did that and he lost his kingship But when we pray, when we seek his face, and the Lord guides us and he directs us, we are transformed. Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven. Peter prayed and the cell doors flew open. And one time they flew open and he said, I'm not leaving because salvation's coming to your house today, he said to the jailer. He recognized in the middle of it that God had a plan for him. That was all just to show you that God is real. Now how about you and Jesus? In the middle of it. People are healed through prayer. People are fed through prayer and transformed through prayer. My life has been transformed through prayer. But in spite of all the evidence, think about all the excuses that we have to keep us from praying. Well, I'm too tired, or I really want to do this, or, you know, does God really hear me, or does it even work? This is why when you go to the most desperate corners of the world, you will find the body of Christ actively praying and seeking God. You see that, don't you? I remember I went to El Salvador just after the Civil War back in the early 90s, 
and I walked in, and, and people were praying. You talk about praying? I mean, they prayed. I couldn't understand Spanish very well. I grew up in Canada with six years of French, and it's useless to me here, okay? So, um, but, uh, but I tried to learn, and I was there. And they were praying, and it was like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit began to give me discernment about what they were praying for, and you were connected. And they were going all night, and the missionary told me aside, and he said, they think everybody in America prays like this. Please don't tell them different. <laughs> don't tell them that this is not normal. He said, tell your team to stay awake because it is so passionate and it's life-changing. And people were being saved and children were being rescued. And there were, there were gorillas that were using their weapons to hurt people that were now laying it down and being transformed and surrendering themselves and asking that the Lord would forgive them and that families would forgive them. And it was being transformed. But it began with prayer, the empowerment of prayer in their life. And none of that was even in my notes. But it is so essential because prayer mobilizes us. Prayer changes things. We don't pray and do this. We pray and say, all right, God, I'm ready. You've got my ear. See, we need to remember that Romans 10 and 17, it says that faith cometh by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. When we're tuned into the voice of God, hearing him clearly, and we walk in obedience to his voice, faith is activated. You've heard me say many times when Dr. Tony Evans said this, it radically shook me. He said, we don't need more faith. Jesus said that the faith the size of a mustard seed where you wouldn't even see it can move mountains. He said, so we don't need a lot of, not a lot of faith. We need a lot of feet. If we would just put our feet to what we know to be true, mountains will be moved around us. We need to be mobilized. This is where we experience God's power. That's why Jesus said, truly I say to you, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you will say the mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's the power of faith. But faith comes by hearing. We need to hear God. We need to know God. The ability to hear God is essential in our walk with him. But we also need to recognize that just because we hear God, it doesn't mean that there aren't any more mountains. Because when we hear God and we're walking in God, there's going to be resistance. Throughout the New Testament, we see repeatedly, don't be surprised when you're attacked. Don't be surprised when you hit resistance. Don't be surprised when these things happen to you. When you're in a culture that is opposed to God, when you're in a culture that is confused about who God is, we're going to experience resistance because there's only two paths. There's the path of God and there's the path of the world that the enemy is trying to lead us down. So when you follow God, you're going to experience resistance so much so that if you're not experiencing any resistance in your walk with God, we need to ask ourselves, God, am I following you? Am I stepping out in faith? Because there's going to be resistance. And the Holy Spirit has revealed to me at times, there's times I'm experiencing re- resistance because I'm following God, but there's also times I'm experiencing resistance because I'm following Dwayne. You've got to distinguish those two. <laughs> That's why if somebody comes up and says, Pastor Wayne, that was a good word today. Uh, You'll often hear me say, well, if it was good, it's God. If it's bad, it's just me. God is always good. If it's bad, I, I missed it. His power in us. Isaiah 54 says that when we're filled with the voice of God and our feet walk in obedience to him, Isaiah says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. It won't work. See, hearing God is so important that, in fact, when we struggle to hear God, we think we're alone, right? Because there's times that you hear God clearly and you're going and things are cooking, but then there's times you're going, God, are you there? 
It's often referred to as the dark night of the soul. Have you ever experienced that in your life? God, I don't see, right? We all do. I've experienced that. You say, God, where are you? See, the enemy wants to make us think that we're alone, that no one cares, especially God. And the result of this will often be an overwhelming sense of fear. This is what happened to Elisha's servant. Elisha's servant walked out, started looking out and saying, the armies are there, the enemies are there. What will we do? Panic in his voice. See, all the servant could see was the enemy. And in that moment, all the stories of the past, the servant had seen stuff. When you read about Elisha and all the things that were happening, right? Part of the Jordan couldn't find the axe. The axe head floats. I mean, there's all this, all this stuff happening. All the stories of the past didn't mean anything in that moment because all the servant could see was the enemy surrounding him. So Elisha's response was simply this. He prayed that God would open his eyes to what God was doing. When you feel all alone, when you feel like no one cares, just bend on your knees and say, God, will you show me what you're doing? Open my eyes so that I can see that you're there. And I, I, I want to read this again, what Elisha said. He said, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed this powerful prayer. I've said it, this is my third time, I think, saying it, but it's worth repeating again. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Is that your prayer for your family, for your life, for a city? Lord, open their eyes. Open Seattle's eyes. That they can see you. Open my eyes so that I can be a being. Open up this community's eyes so that we can see you. Because here's what happened. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, now he saw a hillside around Elisha that was filled with horses and chariots. He recognized that he was not alone. See, when we feel that we're surrounded, when we feel that we are under attack, more than ever in that moment, we need to pray that God would open our eyes and let us see what he's doing. We may feel that we're alone, but that's why it says in Hebrews 13, read this with me. He will never leave you or fail you, or forsake you. That's a promise. God's promise, I will never leave you. I'm always with you. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to remind us of when we forget. Hebrews 12, 1 previously, it says that we're surrounded by this host of heavens. One of my favorite verses is 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where it says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the earth, looking to move in the hearts of those who are committed to him. God's eyes looking down just like that coach going, all right, who's ready? Who's committed to me? Who's ready? Who wants me to move in their life? And then Romans. I love this in Romans chapter 8. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, you know it. Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? And Paul says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Then Paul says, who then will condemn us? The answer again, no one. 
For Christ has died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in place in honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He's pleading for you right now. And Paul says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or we're hungry or we're destitute or we're in danger or threatened with death? Does that mean that God doesn't love us? No. Paul then says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. So as I wrap this up and the worship team comes up. So what happened next? Well, you can go on and read it, and I encourage you to do that. But what happens next is God turns the tables. And I love it when God turns the tables. See, the enemy tries to blind us of what God is doing. So what did God do? God blinded them. (laughs) That's why I laughed earlier. God blinded them. It says in 2 Kings 6.18, it says, When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Do you see the difference? He opened the eyes of those who were seeking him. That's the will of the Lord, that all eyes would be open to him. But to those that were set on opposing him, those that were set on opposing the will of the Lord, the plan of God, the mission of God, even those he blinded. Even those he blinded. I've witnessed that in my life where those who were enemies, it's as if the Lord blinded them and I was able to walk through. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death is around me. What did David say? He said, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He even says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, surrounded with those that oppose me. But the Lord is good. And he provides as we open our eyes to him. See, he blinded them, and now it didn't matter. One man, one prayer, took down an entire army. Blinded them. (laughs) Can God do anything? That's why James underscores this in James 5. He says, is anyone among you suffering? What did James say? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And then James, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Confession is a normal part of believer's life. It's a normal part. That recognition of God, I don't want anything to be in the way. I don't want anything to be in the communication ways. It's like any other relationship. When you've messed it up, you've done something wrong, and you want the relationship back, what do you do to the person? You go and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to be in right relationship. So James is saying, confess, confess.
James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that they may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth before it. Amen. Can we all stand together this morning? And this is your heart. Just pray this prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak it to the Lord. Lord, we need to hear you. Lord, we're, we're in, a, uh, in a culture that, that tries to take over all the communication. It tries to tell us things that we're not. It tries to confuse us. But you're the God who was, is the God who is and always will be. And now through Jesus, as we confess our sins and we receive you and surrender our life, we no longer have to go through anybody, but we go straight to Jesus. So we run to Jesus. So Lord, if there's sin in our life, Lord, may we confess it and be healed. Speak, Lord, your servant. We're listening. You know, as we head into a response time, we always have questions that are, that are great prompts. But maybe the Lord's asking you a different question. But let's take some responses. Is there anything keeping, ask yourself, is there anything keeping me from hearing and seeing what God is doing? I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not. I'm not asking if you dedicate your life to God because we can go through stuff that makes it tough. But just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is there anything that is keeping me? God, have I surrendered my life? Have I surrendered every situation? Are there things laying in front of me that scare me or that I've got hurts, habits, and hang-ups about that I just need to surrender. What steps is the Lord asking you to follow today? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is there anything keeping you back? Let's walk the Lord. Allow the Lord to heal you today. Let's respond, and then let's celebrate baptism together. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, this is my friend, Chris. Amen. <laughs> and uh, Chris, Chris asked if I would just share. We were talking about um, just the work, Chris, that God's done in your life. And, and uh, he asked me if I would share this for him. But uh, Chris is celebrating one year of sobriety. Right? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And he, he was talking about in his past, it's a long story, and I encourage you to get to know Chris, but just the work that the Lord's been doing in his life. He's, he's like, I went from being homeless, from having to be on a corner asking for money for alcohol, to now I'm sober, I've found a community, I'm here, I'm walking in the ways of Jesus. He's often here a lot of times before any of you all are here. <laughs> he's the guy, before I get ready to preach, he always comes up and gives me a fist bump. So Chris, we are so glad that you are a part of our family here. Yeah, so glad that you are here. And he's going to walk in the way of Jesus. Jesus was baptized. And there's something significant between the physical and the spiritual that 
we see it all throughout the account of Elijah and Elisha that when we align our lives physically walking in the ways of Jesus, there's this physical reality of this thing that takes place because we are one, right? Mind, soul, body, and strength. And when we walk in the ways of Jesus, it's that act of obedience of walking out where the power of God fills and says, yes, this is the way. And so today, Chris, I believe the Lord's saying to you, Chris, this is the way, walk in it. The Lord is pleased with you. And so he's being baptized in obedience to the Lord. So Chris, have you surrendered and given your life to Jesus? Yes. Do you want to follow the Lord in water baptism today? Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh. If you want to be baptized, Chris came up because I said at the end, I said, if you want to be baptized, just let me know and we will make it happen. And we did. We did praise the Lord. If you want to be baptized, be sure to reach out and to do this. It is a powerful act of obedience walking with the Lord. Now for every disciple, this is our benediction. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Gracious to you. The Lord and give you peace.